All right. Uh, this morning, we are going to begin a sermon series entitled The End of the World According to Jesus. The End of the World According to Jesus. Now, there are certain times in life, uh, I've noticed this as, as being a pastor for several years, there are certain times when you sit down and you plan out a sermon series or you look at the year as a whole and you're, you're trying to track through, like, this is where we're going in the Bible. These are some things that we feel like the Lord uh, wants to teach the church. And so John and I have been walking through this process ever since I I came on staff here, and this is one of the sermon series that we began looking at. Uh, We began talking about, you know, we need to spend some time talking on what does Jesus say about the end of the world? How can we be prepared for the end of the world? And it's interesting that there are times in which the sermon series overlaps or coincides with current events, which I think is really amazing. And so this is not one that we, we're not approaching Matthew chapter 24 and 25 over the next few weeks as a reactionary approach, but it has been a very proactive approach in that we set this sermon series out earlier in the year. But here's, here's the, the coming together of all the current events. Maybe you've heard about this movie that has um, just come out on October 3rd called Left Behind. Are you guys aware of that movie? Okay, Nicolas Cage, like Nicolas Cage is in a movie about the end of the world. And so in this movie, Nicolas Cage is depicting, and and the other actresses and actors there are depicting the end of the world. And they're using this this thing called the rapture as a way um, to, to show what the end of the world is going to look like and the ensuing chaos that comes out of that. Now... This morning and over the next few weeks, we're going to begin taking a look at the end of the world. What does Jesus have to say about it? Because you, if you've been alive uh, the past few years, you, you probably have realized that Hollywood is doing a great job of now pumping out all these movies that have biblical themes in them, like, like Noah, um, The Blind Side, some of these other things that we see biblical themes being, being cast out before us, and we in the church um, have to know how to navigate through them to find the truth in them, the, the falsehood in them, and, and the good and the bad. And so I wanted to share with you, just for a few moments, as we look at the movies that, that uh, we watch, there are some good things that we can use them for in our world, but there are also some bad things we need to avoid. So I'm going to share with you a couple good things, first of all. So since Hollywood is bringing out these movies, especially the one like Left Behind, I think it's good because it gives us an open door for Bible study. Like it it reminds us that we need to study the word to know what the word says so that we can know what truth is and we can delineate between what is true and what is false. So it's good in that it, it should drive us to deeper Bible study. The second thing I think it's good for is that it opens the door for spiritual conversations. It shows in the world today that there is a contemporary interest in biblical teaching or biblical truths. And so there are people out there wondering and asking these questions like, what's going to happen in the end? What's it going to look like? How do I be prepared? So these movies show that there's interest out there, especially if people are paying tickets to go see the movie. So we know that's good because it could open up the door for spiritual conversations. The third thing I think it's good for is because it teaches us as believers how to sift through and discern between truth and error. So we're able to say, this is what God says, this is what the word says, this is what the, the picture of the movie is showing, and we can walk through that and be able to discern between truth and error. But there's some bad that comes along with it. These are some things we need to be aware of. First of all, Because it's a movie, I want you to realize that movies are fiction, 
right? Movies, just as everything on the internet is not true, just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true, just because it's on a big screen doesn't make it true. So movie like Left Behind or even like the movie Noah, those are fiction. And they're fiction and they, they have a great opportunity, but the, they're fiction in that the writer, the one that puts it all together, is the one that has the authority to interpret and present whatever they want. So it's not tied to, to Scripture or tied to something specifically. Uh, a, a writer of these movies can take a part of Scripture and they can say, well, I like that, I don't like that, and I'm going to blow this up and magnify this teaching, and then I'm going to make this teaching very, very small. And so we see that movies are fiction. So remind you of that. And the writer of the movie has a purpose. The writer of a movie is seeking to many times portray their own theological positions. So these movies are fiction. These movies are not facts. These movies are not the word of God. The second challenge I think that that these movies uh, present in our own minds is by watching these movies, when we watch these movies, they place images in our head and we bring these images in our head to scripture. And so we interpret scripture through what we have in our head. So that's a challenge, not that it's completely bad, but that's a challenge. Because if you, if you watch a movie about the crucifixion of Christ, and you see a movie portraying Jesus being this way, and you come to the word of God and you read about the crucifixion, then it, you be, begin to replay in your mind the movie, which may or may not really be true, because there was an author making an interpretation of scripture and presenting that for you. So we just be aware that movies can bring about uh, perceptions in our own life. So with that in mind, let's begin looking today at Matthew chapter 24. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. And for the next few weeks, we are going to walk through Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And we're really going to look at the words of Jesus. If, you're, if your Bible is like mine, when, when Jesus said something, it's in red. So as we walk through these next few weeks, you're going to see a lot of red in the Bible, and that means Jesus spoke these words. And so we're going to look at what he has to say about the end of the world and how we should live in light of what he says about the end. So what does he say about it, and then how should we live in light of that? And before we even dive in, I want to give you some, this is a slide up here that will give you some purposes of prophecy. As we look at prophetic writings, what is the right way that we should interpret that, or what is the right way that is written so that we can understand its purpose? So here's some things to, to note. The purpose of prophecy First of all, prophecy in and of itself is not the end. So we don't study prophecy or hear prophecy for prophecy's sake. Prophecy is supposed to be telling us something or teaching us something, which we see number two. Prophecy, the purpose of it is to give insight into what God is doing and to where God is leading creation. So we want to know what God is up to. So prophecy tells us this is what God is doing. This is what God is going to do so that we can know that it's him and not some other force out there. The third thing is that we see that prophecy gives indication as to what Christians should be doing. So if God says this, this is what's going to happen, then what should we do in response as we wait for that to happen? So how should we respond? Prophecy should help us learn how to to live well. Prophecy is not there so that we can sit around trying to fulfill our our curiosity about the future. We're not supposed to just sit around saying, well, I wonder what would happen if, and then we try to prognosticate towards the end, but prophecy is there, so we should know how we are to live. And lastly, prophecy should lead us to know God 
or lead us to God to know him and to have faith in him through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of prophecy. It's to let us to see that, that God is up to something, but God has already been up to something. And by sending his son Jesus, that we can know God and so we can have trust and faith in him. So let's look at Matthew chapter 24. I want to begin just looking at verses 1 and 2. So Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the building of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here on one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus is beginning to talk about, and he's foretelling the destruction of the temple. So in order to understand this, we must really begin by understanding context. And that's huge when you're looking at prophecy. You can't just take a, a passage of scripture or a word in scripture and blow it up without keeping it in context. So let's look at the context to which Jesus is getting ready to teach on the signs of the ends of the age. So Jesus has just left the temple. So what he had been doing is he had been teaching in the temple and and he had been um, discussing and talking with the religious leaders. And at the end of chapter 23, we see he's just gone about pronouncing judgment and he foretells the judgment that was to come on God's people. You see, God's people had broken his covenant with God and they had rejected the prophet that God sent in Jesus And so God was going to bring about judgment on them. And in chapter 23, we also see that Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. Jesus says it's going to happen. The stones that are here, this temple that you see before you is going to be utterly destroyed. I think if we look here in verses 2, 1 and 2, we see it's it's curious the the connection between chapter 23 and the way chapter 24 starts off because in 23 he's pronouncing destruction of the temple and then in 24 we look here the disciples are looking at the temple and they're beginning to point out the beauty of the temple they're saying this is a beautiful thing this is a beautiful building for the temple in that day was an impressive structure the temple was being constructed by Herod the Great, who was named king over all of Israel. And, and under the rule of Rome, he sought favor among the Jews. And so he decided to build or rebuild the temple. And it took over 80 years to complete. And at this time in history, as, as Jesus' and the disciples are looking at the temple, the temple was still under construction. It wasn't going to be uh, con- uh, completed for another six or seven more years. But as Jesus' disciples are marveling at the building. Jesus foretells them and says, this building is coming down. And I think he's using this as a way to point out the great tragedy of the Jews. You see, the Jews had made the relationship with God about outside perfection and about outside beauty. They had worked so long of making their relationship with God a religion. They said, we need to do these things so that we can look religious. And so they used the temple as a way of saying, God is blessing us and God is prospering us because look at this beautiful temple. If God was not with us, would he allow this temple to be such a beautiful thing? They could not see that their hearts were as dark as night. So I think there's a a quick lesson we can learn just from this. And this is, don't put your faith in people or places. Our faith should squarely be placed in God through Jesus Christ. For the temple itself was a, a picture of the presence of God. It was a picture of stability. It was a picture of blessing. But in the process of this, they had missed God and so we see here that Jesus points out the temple. And he says, this temple is coming down. 
And then in verse 3, we see he changes the venue. He moves, moves from the city of Jerusalem up to the Mount of Olives. And he says this in verse 3. And as he sat in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. So I can just imagine here, Jesus takes his disciples up because he has this question. He has a purpose. He wants to teach them something. He wants them to be able to see him for who he is and what he's going to be about doing. So he takes them up to the Mount of Olives with the backdrop of the temple. So he's teaching here, but also with the backdrop of the temple in the background so they can see. We also see that the disciples must have been completely and utterly disturbed. As Jesus says in the end of verse 2 that this, this building is coming down, it must have completely disturbed the disciples because they come to him and they, they say, they have questions about, tell us about this. What does this mean? When is this going to happen? I'm, I can only imagine that to them that might have been the most horrendous picture that they could endure at that time. I think about it. think about it in your mind right now. What is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you in your life right now? And then imagine someone coming to you saying, it's going to happen. Like, it's, it's surely going to happen. So that's the position of the disciples right now. They're like, oh, Lord, you've just blown our minds. Like this temple that is so important to your people. It's a, it's a, it's a monument to the nations to show how much you care for your people. It's coming down. That disturbs me from my inside must have been completely overwhelming. So they come to him in verse 3, and they ask him this question. They must have been so moved that it prompted them to, to ask these questions. And they ask the question, when's the, temple going to, when's the temple going to be destroyed? When is this going to happen? What are the signs of your second coming or your coming again? And when is the end of the age going to happen? They really, I think, were asking questions more based on themselves. They're saying, when is this going to happen to me? Or is this going to happen to me? Am I going to be a part of this? Because that's almost so overwhelming. I can't even fathom the idea of the temple coming down. Are we going to be victorious or are we going to be defeated? Are we going to be here through this process? See, I have to believe the disciples, like many of us, when they hear horrible words like that or, or, or challenging truths from God, from his mouth himself, I think there's a tendency inside of us, like we can see in the disciples, that we have this, this pain avoidance reflex. Like I have to believe the disciples were like, oh my goodness, God, I thought we were going to go directly into the establishment of your kingdom. You've been teaching about your kingdom over and over and over again. We want to be there. We want to be there ruling and reigning with you. But now you're talking about this? Are we going to have to go through it? I think there's a desire among many of us to avoid pain, and we want to skip right into experiencing heaven and experiencing the kingdom of God. But we know and we can see here that that's not God's plan. God's plan was not to, to, to save his disciples and immediately take them out of the world, but no, his plan was to keep them there, to walk through these challenges, to walk through these difficulties, so they could proclaim to the nations the goodness of God. So they come to him with these questions. And Jesus, from verses 4 to 14, is where we're going to look today, he's going to begin to answer them. He's going to begin to give them answers. 
And as he gives answers, as we walk through verses 4 to 14 today, I want us to be aware that as Jesus is talking, we've got to interpret what he's about to say and keeping it in context. So in, in Jesus, as he's speaking, what he's doing is he's doing two things. One, he is, he is pointing towards their first question. When is the temple going to be destroyed? When is it going to come down? So Jesus begins talking on that level. He says, so these are the things you can look to. But then Jesus also is answering the question, tell us the signs of the end of the age or when you're, when you're coming back again. So he sees in two, two, two trains uh, or two paths. The first path ends at the temple destruction. The second one is also pointing towards that. So he's speaking to answering both questions at the same time in verses 4 to 14. So he begins in verses, verses 4 through 8, and he lays out some general conditions and, warned, and warnings that do not necessarily mark the end. So he's going to begin in 4 through 8, giving some general conditions and warnings that do not necessarily bring about the end. So look at me in verses 4 and 5. He gives us some warnings against being deceived. He says, See to it that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So he gives us a strict warning against being deceived. He says, in the future, there will be great times of distress, and there will be great times of trial, and you will want to cling to people. That's one of our necessities or our feelings in life. We want to cling to people because people give us security, right? And so Jesus is saying here, there will be many that will come, and they'll come in my name, and they'll say that I am he. They will say that I am the Christ. And he says, don't cling to them. Don't give them your heart. Don't give them your attention because they will come saying that they are the Christ, and they will come bringing a message of hope. He says, don't listen to them. Don't be led astray. Don't pre or don't follow people that preach themselves as the hope. Don't follow them. Many will come in and many will be led astray. So many, and what we can learn from this is that many good people will in as this is coming towards the end, many good people will not follow Christ, but they will follow men so jesus is speaking at a at a time that is near but he's also talking about a time that is far and we can see this even in our own time we can see that in our own lifestyle or in our own lifetimes there have been many that have come i remember back and i can think back to david koresh in waco texas when he had all those people in this compound where he he was pretending or he was promoting himself as the christ and people gave their lives to him because he was promoting peace he was promoting hope in himself i can even think back to 1997 when there was the heaven gate heaven's gates group remember the guys that thought that there was a comet coming and then if they could somehow if they would kill themselves at the right time or they committed suicide at the right time they would be on that comet and they would be in heaven you guys remember that Jesus wants us to be aware. Not only is he telling his disciples here, he's saying, be aware there will many come that will say and claim to be the Christ, but they are not. Do not be deceived. But then in verse 6, he gives another warning. He says, warning, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. He goes on to say, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. So he goes on to say, your security and your very safety will be tested. You'll hear of wars and you'll hear of rumors of wars. And I don't know of very many more terrifying things in our lives than to think about war. 
Like, that to me is something that is very, very overwhelming and very, very difficult and very, very challenging. I mean, especially when we think about the, the terrors of war, when we think about our loved ones and our very own lives going through challenges of war. War promotes fear. But Jesus says that does not mark the end. And in every generation since Jesus has come, this has been true. We can look around the world in Jesus' day and even into our day, and we can look around and we can see that this is true. There are wars and there are rumors of wars. Even today, as we look in our own lifetime, we see that there have been many, many wars. Many of us have experienced the fear of rumors of wars. And today, what that may look like is is the, the claims of potential terrorist attacks. Don't be alarmed, he says. When you hear of wars and rumors, don't be alarmed. Don't freak out. It's going to be a part of it. Like, weep over it, be sad over it, but don't be alarmed as though you don't have hope. But then in verses 7 and 8, he goes on and gives us another sign. He says that there will be all kinds of things that we cannot control. In verse 7, he says, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pangs. So he gives us a warning against don't let let nations and don't let nature and don't even let your nutrition or lack of nutrition freak you out. All these things are not the end, but they point towards the end, and they are as birth pains. I love the way Jesus uses this image, vivid imagery today so that we can understand even more the severity and the reality of what Jesus is talking about. I don't know if you've ever walked with someone through birth, or you've had a wife, or, or you are a wife, or you've given birth yourself, but there's something about that that is amazing and also terrifying, also at the same time. Like, giving birth is terrifying. Like, for me, it was absolutely terrifying. But there's something precious about it, but it's also terrifying, especially when you as a man have to sit back and watch your wife like go through this, this cycle of being prepared for a birth. Like, that's a freaky thing, because you can't go in there and fix it. There's nothing you can do about it, but you can sit back and watch, and you can say, okay, this is happening. And so Jesus here says birth pains. And so we, if we look at birth pains, we can see in birth pains there's a pattern. And Jesus gives us the pattern. He says, when you see this pattern, when you see the pattern of war, you see the pattern of famine, you see the pattern of earthquakes, like don't, don't let it freak you out and say that the sky is falling. Don't run around saying the sky is falling. He says these things are going to happen. They're going to increase. War, famine, and earthquakes are going to be a part of life. And they're going to increase in severity, they're going to increase in frequency, and they're going to increase in scale. But don't let that freak you out. The sky is not falling. It's, it's in a part of God's plan and God, God, part of God's purpose. So there's a pattern to this. We also know that birth pains are painful. Real life birth is very, very painful. It comes to the point of, of, of extreme pain. And what Jesus here is saying is, is that as the end is going to come, there's going to be very, very painful for humanity. And this pain that humanity is going to feel is going to increase in frequency, it's going to increase in severity, it's going to increase in scale as we wait for Jesus' return. But we also know that birth pain, this is a pattern, we know that it's painful, but we also know that birth pain leads to something that is precious. 
I remember holding my child for the very first time, realizing my wife was exhausted and she had gone through deep pain as I got to hold my child. That is a precious moment. Like for her to walk through that pain and for me to be able to see the joy of holding my child for the very first time is overwhelming. So it leads to joyful results. And that's what I believe Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, this is going, it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. But then, when I come again, it will be precious. And the last thing I want us to see about just the birth pains themselves is that when the birth process begins, it begins an irreversible process. Like when, when a woman truly goes into labor, there's no way of stopping it like you can you can hold it off for a little bit but there's no way of stopping it so what jesus is saying is when you see these things begin know that the end is coming and nothing can stop it it's coming and at the point in time that he has set it will come about so it's a promise but it's also be ready because this process once it starts it's not going to stop So that's Jesus in one through, um, one through, four through eight gives us some, some general um, ways or general signs to look for that don't necessarily point to the end. But then in verse nine, he's going to move on. He's going to say, here are some more specific conditions that do mark the end. You see, in verse nine, he gives us the word then. That's a, a, a clear shift. What he's going to shift in, he's going to shift and he's going to say, now these things that are to come, they are going to be more intense and they are going to be closer. These are things that you personally will experience, is what he says. For the first that he talks about are things that can happen and you not be impacted by them. You might not be affected by them. For rumors of wars and wars, that may be somewhere else. Famines, that may be somewhere else. Earthquakes, that may be somewhere else. But then he says, these things are going to happen to you. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you're going to escape this. And so this is what he says. He gives us a graphic picture. Look with me in verse 9. He says, then they will deliver you. Like that you there? He's not just saying you disciples. He's not just saying they will deliver you. But what he's saying is you believers. He's saying if you're a believer, if you, if you take on the name of Jesus Christ, if, if you allow him to be your sacrifice, if you allow him to be the way that you are reconciled back to God, this you is you. He says, then you, they will deliver you. They will capture you. They will confine you. They will put you in chains. And then they will do what? They'll do this. They'll, they'll deliver you up to tribulation. Like tribulation's not good. He's saying they will deliver you up so that you will go through a time of suffering and death. And he goes on to clarify it even more. Not only will you have suffering, not only will you go to death, but you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. So when you see these things happening, when you see um, persecution taking place of believers, know that the end is near. And I want you to believe this morning that there are brothers and sisters of ours across the world right now that are enduring just this. Though in America we don't see it, it's, it's still far off. As the end draws closer, it becomes near. But then in verse 10 goes on to say, it'll also be like many, many will fall away. 
And then not only will many fall away, those that we count as our brothers or those we see as our brothers and sisters, they will fall away. They will be dissolved away. They will move away. But not only will they go away, but they will turn on us. Not only so they'll be close like our family, but then they'll turn on us. And they will become our enemy. They will hate us. They will betray. One, um, one will betray another and hate one another. And then we see verse 11, and this is a scary thing too. That was, we, we see this position and this, this picture becoming even more dark. And he says, and then many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Now this is challenging because it's a false prophet now. It's not someone that's claiming to be Christ because that's easier to discern. But when you have a false prophet, he says, many, many will come. And this will be difficult for those to discern, that those that aren't really walking with the Lord or don't really know the Lord. Because false prophets aren't claiming to be Christ, but false prophets can preach Christ, but they alter the message. He says, the changing, the altering of this message will lead many, many, many to fall away. And then verse 12 goes on to make it seem even, even more dark. He says, and then because of lawlessness will increase and love, the love of many will grow cold lawlessness will increase. You'll see the law will be abolished and people will do what seems right in their own eyes. They'll focus on love of themselves and their love towards others will grow cold. That's a pretty bleak picture. He says it's gonna get this way. Just be ready for it. Don't be alarmed. Don't freak out. But trust in me, trust that I am a good God, that I know what I'm doing. And he says this, he gives a word of encouragement in 11. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He gives this promise. He says, though it looks bad, though it looks dark, though you'll be so scared, you'll be so tempted and so fearful, you'll be tempted to fear, but trust, endure, stand firm when you see this taking place. Don't allow it to to shake your faith or shatter your faith, but make your faith firmly rooted in God, for you will be saved. And then he moves to giving the end with a positive prediction. Verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We're going to look at that a little bit more in the weeks to come. But what I want us to see here as we look at this is that God is moving all things to a positive end. And here he gives a prediction. He says that all the nations. So the completion of the Great Commission is a sign of the end. It is to come and it is going to come. So when the Great Commission is proclaimed, not that everyone will hear and not that everyone will respond positively, but when the gospel goes out and is proclaimed over the nation then the end will come. And Jesus, again, let me remind you as we come to um, a time where we make some application of this. I want to remind you, as Jesus has been talking here, he's talking directly towards the, the disruption of the temple, which we know takes place in 70 AD. So he's, he's given some, some direction to them. When you see these things happening, that means the, the temple and the destruction of the temple is coming near. But he also says, you'll see these things as the end is coming. They'll come in cycles. And they'll come in different, they'll start in different places of the world and they'll, they'll happen all over the place. But as they get closer and more severe and together compounded and more globalized, you will see that they mark the end of the age in Christ's second return. So today, as we begin taking a look at this sermon series and begin thinking about 
what Jesus has to say. I want to remind us of four things. First, don't be deceived. There are many, many messages out there and many, many voices out there that will seek to deceive you. And I'm, inclu- I'm, encouraged in, I'm included in one of them. Don't be deceived by me. Don't take what I say as the word of God, but take the word of God as the word of God. So I challenge you, as I'm, as I'm even teaching through this, don't take my words just at face value, but take time and study the word for yourself. Know what Jesus says. Know what the word says about who he is and what he's all about. So don't be deceived. Second of all, don't be alarmed. We just read and looked through a lot of things that can be seem very alarming. Like to think that the world, like even the pictures there, like it, it's, it's crazy to even think about that. But don't allow it to, be, to alarm you, but trust in the Lord. Third of all, be informed. Be informed. Like understand why these things are happening or why these things are going to happen. The Lord says, these are, he clearly says, this is why this is going to happen. He has a purpose. So be informed about it. And then lastly, endure. Endure and advance. As we see the world moving in a place, a way that seems more chaotic and seems more dangerous, allow us to know that we should stay firmly rooted and endure to the end, trusting in God. For he is who he says he is. And he's doing what he says he's going to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us and we thank you so much for your word. And Father, I just pray that you continue to allow us to be people that place our trust squarely in you. That we don't place our trust in people, we don't place our trust in in things, but we place our trust in Jesus Christ. Father, we know that when we trust in you, we find hope. When we trust in you, we find peace. When we trust in you, Father, we are able to face the challenges of the world as people with hope because we know that this is not the end. This is not as good as it gets, but that it gets better. So, Father, today, help us to be people that firmly place our faith in you. Maybe, God, there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior and as their Lord. Father, may you today speak to them and allow them to to understand their need for you and help them to do something about it. Father, for those of us that are here that do know you, Father, may we be people that are strengthened in our faith. May we walk more closely with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.